The AMA Moving Medicine podcast highlights innovation and emerging issues that impact physicians and patients today. I'm your host, Todd Unger, Chief Experience Officer at the AMA. Hello, this is the American Medical Association's Moving Medicine video and podcast. Today, we're talking about something that seems to be in short supply, trust, uh, with Dr. Fred Cerise, President and CEO of Parkland Health and Hospital System in Dallas about the importance of building trust in healthcare during COVID and beyond. I'm Todd Unger, AMA's Chief Experience Officer in Chicago. Dr. Cerise, thank you so much for being here today. Uh, Important topic trust uh, and as part of your work with the American Board of Internal Medicine Foundation, you become a national leader on building trust in healthcare. So we're expecting some uh, big pieces of advice from you. Um, First of all, what happened to trust? Uh, This situation with the pandemic has really pointed out the gulf uh, that we're facing right now. What's your take? Well, even before the pandemic, you know, we recognized trust in the healthcare system was eroding in the country. And that was one of the impetus behind the ABIM, um, their effort to highlight the need to improve trust, uh, you know, among institutions and between institutions and patients. So it was something that was going on before the pandemic. And we know that it's only worsened uh, in the midst of the pandemic. You know, when you see different surveys out there about who people trust, you know, physicians do come up at the top of the list. So where's, where's the problem? Well, historically, that's been true. But what we're seeing is even that's eroding. Uh, there's a lot of misinformation out there now. And certainly trust among the public and healthcare institutions is going down. And again, during the pandemic, we've, we've seen polling data to show that that's even gotten worse. You know, it's funny to see what people trust out there, uh, especially when we look at things, you know, starting with hydroxychloroquine, uh, and now we're into, you know, all sorts of other stuff. Why is it that people, do you have any sense of why people trust certain things and not others? Well, you know, there is a lot of misinformation out there, and I think people have a lot more access to information um, as well. Good and bad, and it's hard to discern, you know, what information you can trust and um, you know, there's certainly pieces that we've contributed to as a health system. You look at how we've performed. Uh, there's a lot of disparities and equities in our distribution of services and how people can access services. So I think some of that mistrust has been earned. And then some of it is related to misinformation. So two big topics there. Uh, one around misinformation, which we talked a little bit about. The other one is kind of surprising when you think about trust, which you've talked about access. What, what do you mean by that? Well, you know, you look at the, in the, in the country, your access to healthcare is oftentimes a factor of geography, you know, what state you're in, what part of a state that uh, you're in. And uh, certainly is the case here, you know, I'm at, at Parkland Hospital in Dallas and almost one in four non-elderly adults is uninsured. And so access, there, there are just a lot of access barriers. And, um, you know, when people can't, when there's inequitable access to care, you can expect inequitable uh, outcomes, and um, and that's going to breed mistrust among people who can't necessarily get access. Like if you look, you know, trust tends to be higher among uh, uh, higher socioeconomic categories, uh, white individuals, people with higher incomes, and uh, you know, creates a particular challenge for us at Parkland because that's not the population we generally serve. That's interesting. I don't. I don't think we've talked a lot about access, uh, you know, especially in regard to the vaccine. Uh, But I've never heard anybody talk about it as an issue of trust 
you know, what steps do you take at your system uh, uh, to think uh, about improving that with your local community, for instance? Yeah, I think you have to take it as kind of a non-traditional approach. I mean, one is just, you know, we tend to in this country think insurance equals access. And then for those who don't have insurance, you can go to the emergency room and you can have access. And so we're okay. But there's so much more to it uh, than that. You know, people with chronic disease that need ongoing care outside of an emergency department, people who are at risk for cancer and need screening, that's not going to happen in an emergency department. And so you have to look at the entire continuum and and then you've got to look at the population and see where the need is and how do you target those services. A lot of it has to do with partnering with communities, listening to communities, understanding the demographics and factors like that so that you know where to, where to focus your efforts. I really uh, am interested in something that you uh, did, which is a trust challenge to really solicit ideas and identify who was you know, building trust both within and outside of your health system. What did you learn from that? Well, one of the th biggest things I learned is people were really interested in telling their stories. So what we did is we put out a, a challenge to people, tell us your practices that you've engaged in that would increase trust, whether it's within, you know, between your provider teams and patients, between among provider teams. And we had over 40 submissions of different programs that people had, uh, had developed to enhance trust. And some of them were as, you know, uh, uh, some of them were simple as consult services to take care of people with addiction problems that would connect them to care on the outside. I say it's simple. I mean, it's a simple idea. It's a complicated thing to do. Um, others were more involved, like putting mental health providers on teams of uh, police and fire rescue people that are going out into the community to respond to EMS calls of people with behavioral health problems. Uh, so there was a lot of uh, a lot of interest in telling the stories, uh, which was encouraging to us because one of the things we want to do is try to elevate people's awareness. Think about those practices that are going to foster uh, greater trust, so we can highlight that and get people thinking in that mode. Gosh, we're in, we're in a total mind melt here because uh, you know a lot of what we talk about uh, and a lot of what you see in the media is very you know is all the data. Um, but we know also that stories move people. What do you do with those stories that you're getting uh, that are so compelling uh, for a lot of people out there? How do you how do you make sure people see those? You know, well, I think it's one of the things that the American Board of Internal Medicine's foundation has focused on when, when that group has looked at how do you improve trust in the healthcare system? And one of the big approaches has been, let's tell those stories. Let's identify where people are, are, are implementing practices to in, increase trust. And then let's highlight that. And uh, so, you know, you can learn from, uh, from others. There's a program of peer support for, you know, people in the hospital who have been particularly impacted by trauma. You know, you had a bad outcome, uh, you had a bad experience. Uh, COVID pandemic is a good example of that. Uh, and so putting a peer navigator or peer support team together to provide uh, some support for, uh, for people within the hospital. That's an idea I saw from one of these other challenges. It's one of the ideas that our team has implemented. Medicine doesn't stand still, and at the AMA, neither do we. AMA members are physicians like you who are shaping the future of medicine. Become a member today and join the movement. Visit ama-assn.org slash movingmedicine.
Well, I'm coming back to you on this because this is something we're working on here too. And one of the reasons that we have, you know, an update like this. Um, I'm interested also because this issue around trust, uh, the issue around storytelling, very applicable, applicable to vaccine efforts. How have you taken what you've learned and applied that to vaccine efforts uh, down in Texas? So, yeah, that's a that's a, a great question, looking at how do you establish uh, trust in the community so people will accept the vaccines, right? Uh, one of the things that was striking to me early on, I saw a poll from Kaiser that showed in Texas about 15% of the vaccinations were among the Hispanic population, where a population that accounted for about 50, 50, 50% of the deaths. And so it, it was a, it just highlighted the need to uh, to, to target some efforts in that community. And so we've taken a few different approaches. One is just using the data to, to see where the people are that are not getting vaccinated um, and then go target efforts there. And then those efforts are around kind of multi-pronged uh, efforts, looking at who are community voices they'll trust because my voice might not make a difference there, but a community member's voice will make a difference. And so we did, we've done things like... Um, as people that the community would recognize come in to get vaccinated, uh, we'll, we'll videotape that, film it, give them an information packet so that they can take that video and their information and spread that into the, you know, give them a YouTube link and they can spread that in the community. So the community now is hearing a trusted voice talk mm -hmm. about it as opposed to someone that they don't know like me. Yeah, that's really important. I think part of, you know, what we see in the kind of, for lack of better words, the marketing of the vaccine, uh, you know, unlike in digital marketing, where you might have a thousand different messages going out there that are very targeted to people uh, that are designed to connect uh, with a specific population. You know, we're, I think we've all been looking for kind of a silver bullet, so to speak. That's one message for everybody. And it's just not true, especially when you see numbers like you're talking, you know, 15 versus 50. Uh, you know, that is a big warning light. And so it's interesting to see how you're taking that. Uh, well, it come, becomes kind of a ground game, you know, like you, it can't be, you, you'd see on TV, there's a lot of messages, a lot of commercials about getting vaccinated, um, but it's it's not necessarily sort of striking home. And so we've done things like we've got this health ambassadors program working with high school students that have an interest in healthcare. And they've, we've taught them about the vaccine and that message. And they've brought that into the community. And we've had vaccine fairs at their school where, you know, the students were on Spanish speaking radio promoting the event um, and then, you know, had good community uptake around events like that. So kind of it takes it's extra it's extra work. Right. Uh, but um, how do you get into the community through voices that people will trust? I like that. Uh, that is so smart. Uh, I have to think uh, that the situation is complicated by uh, you know, the politicization in Texas, uh, big questions around, uh, you know, masks. H how was this affected what you're doing down there? And in the face of stuff like this, how do physician leaders, you know, build trust when it might seem people are working against you? Yeah, uh, that's a tough one too, because Unlike, I, I don't remember a public health situation that has been as politicized as this one, right? And so you see acceptance to vaccination, acceptance to masking that breaks along uh, political lines. And so 
you try to rise above that and not get into those arguments and try to get trusted voices out there. Because when you know when you get to uh, to the uh, to the school leaders, to the pastors, to people in the community that they recognize, generally those people are saying, "Mask, keep your distance, get your vaccination." You know. Um, so when it gets more personal, uh, people are people are delivering the right kind of caring message. And so we've tried to work through those channels, use our physician leaders' voices as you know, uh, kind of stick to the science and try to just pound that message. Um, and that helps, but I think that the community leaders that people recognize, that, that helps even more. Well, Dr. Cerise, based on everything you've learned, I'd like uh, to give, uh, for you to give two pieces of advice. First, uh, other physicians out there, kind of number one or number two advice about building trust. We know we've talked a lot about the, the erosion of trust, but one thing that is true is people still trust their primary care provider. People, you know, that's a tried and true thing that's that's still there. And so I think taking time, which is hard nowadays, right? But uh, but uh, taking time, or your office staff taking time to be able to listen, answer questions. Um, it's it's it's, you know, I wish it was it was more wisdom than that. But in, in a lot of the sense, kind of just showing up and listening and be present is the trick. So for the AMA, uh, we're spending a lot of time trying to showcase physician voices, make sure they're heard. Any advice for us you'd like to see from us? I think you've touched on it. And that is, what's that com right combination of kind of, uh, you know, uh, fact and anecdotes, you know, storytelling combined with the, uh, with the data is important because people take information in so differently. And today, I think storytelling is more important, uh, more important than ever because it's just how people are getting their information. So I, I, I think programs like this where people can hear kind of the anecdotes, uh, hear some of the practices that people are putting in place that are building trust that then result in better patient engagement, you know, because that's what we're really looking for. How do you get people to engage, um, to be more activated in their own health care so that they were getting better health outcomes, reducing inequities? And, uh, and I think hearing how different systems are doing that will help others uh, Think about it and, and perhaps adopt some new practices. Well, Dr. Cerise, thank you so much for joining us today. I uh, love hearing the lessons that you've learned and the work that you're doing with ABIM uh, to spread that message. That's it for today's Moving Medicine video and podcast. We'll be back with another segment soon. In the meantime, you can join us for future episodes and podcasts of Moving Medicine by subscribing at ama-assn.org slash podcasts. Thanks for joining us. Please take care. I'm Todd Unger, and this has been Moving Medicine, a podcast by the American Medical Association. You can subscribe to Moving Medicine and other great AMA podcasts anywhere you listen to yours, or visit ama-assn.org slash podcasts. Thank you for listening.